0: Super stoked to have Distro Kids sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons, 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their, their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys and they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well, as well as the the real deal cocktails, mimosa flights and all the goods. So come on out for brunch or come out in the evening for the new warm weather cocktail menu featuring lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, tons of outdoor patio space and good eats. Big thanks to produce row cafe, for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's do it.
1: it the
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, And that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, which will give it more visibility on the national and international levels. Helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe. Wherever you are listening from, the podcast is available on Spotify now. And I've also been dropping some monthly playlists there as well. So I'll put the links for those things in the episode notes so you can keep up with that Spotify profile and those playlists that are dropping every first of the month. And the links for the Dan Cable Presents mugs and t-shirts will be there as well. All right, man, enough with all the preamble stuff. Noah Gunderson is back on the podcast this week and I am fucking pumped about it. This is one of my favorite episodes in the entire catalog of this thing. Noah Gunderson came on the podcast a few years ago, right around the time his White Noise record came out, and I got to link up on the phone with him at that point, and we chatted about his beginnings and and how he sort of had gotten to that point in his career, and that was a big deal to me at that time when we recorded that episode, I had gotten into Noah's music maybe a year prior to that and gotten into it super heavy. So I was uh, I was really excited to get to chat with him there and uh, just have always really appreciated his way with words. And ever since having that conversation with him, he was so incredibly kind. And, and that gave me this different level of attachment to the music and moving forward and just not sure if anybody has had the same impact on me over the last five years as far as songwriting and things that resonate with me and and make me think about things in, in certain ways. And that conversation a few years back was also a big deal because it really made me feel like I belonged at the table and it really set in motion reaching outside of the the portland area for potential guests on the show on a more consistent basis at that time i was still talking mainly just to portland local musicians which is still a part of the the show today but it's definitely a little more Spread out, and as time goes by, definitely talking to more and more touring artists and international acts as well. So, that conversation a few years back with Noah, and it's crazy because I remember it like it was yesterday. It's weird that so much time has passed since then. I remember recording that episode in my buddy Andrew's house here in Portland. It was the first time I had ever done any phone interview setup as well. So I was definitely anxious about that. And I remember at a certain point in our conversation towards the middle, our connection cut out and I thought it was just over forever, but we were able to to pick it up right away again. And uh, the point of all of this is that it gave me a lot of confidence because I didn't fuck it up. And I felt like We had this very genuine conversation, which was such a stretch from where this all started for me, doing this podcast. I think 13 episodes in, I got the chance to talk with the Sheepdogs, which is this amazing band out of Canada who I liked so much, and I got to talk to their singer, Ewan, before one of their shows in Portland, and I just got so fucking nervous and anxious before and just was not prepared to facilitate a very good conversation And, uh, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot since then. And especially as I've gotten to talk to more high profile people or people with larger national and international followings. And, uh, it's just about learning and remembering that these people that you look up to or who inspire you are, are just people and just gotta try to humanize them as much as possible so you don't fanboy out too hard. There's an appropriate amount of fanboying in this episode, if I can say so myself. You gotta you gotta fanboy a little bit. But anyway, a couple weeks back I went out to Denver to go visit my friend Ryan and we planned the trip around this amazing music weekend. Two of our favorite singer-songwriters were playing in Denver, back-to-back nights, and the first of those was Noah Gunderson at the Soiled Dove, playing a stripped-down solo acoustic show and playing a lot of tunes off the the first few records. He's got this tour set up where one night he plays tunes off the first few records, and the second night he then plays stuff off the newer records so we got to see night one the kickoff of this this solo tour and then the following night we got to see Andrew McMahon play at the Ogden Theater in Denver and he was also doing this stripped down thing and playing songs with different arrangements and whatnot so that was really amazing but a couple days before I headed out to Denver. I reached out to Noah to see if there was any possibility that he might be around for a chat because I knew he was going to be in Denver for a couple days, so I figured that that might be something that could possibly work out, and it did. So the night after getting to see him play, I got to head over to the Soiled Dove before his set that night, and for 200 episodes later to get the opportunity to sit down in the same room this time and chat with Noah was really a fucking gift and a special one for me and a lot of what he said during this conversation resonated heavy with me and I think it left me with a lot to think about as well just like his music always does so yeah this dude just has a presence to him that I could even feel over the phone but to get a better sense of it in person was very cool and just so appreciative of the the time that I got to spend with him and the time that he was willing to give to me for this conversation and this dude's music often says it all for me and if you don't know about Noah I'd encourage you to Check out all of his records. And while I appreciate and connect with Noah's self hatred at times for things he has done in the past, I really don't think there's a bad album in the bunch. But definitely can't go wrong with his brand new record, Pillar of Salt, which this episode will feature some tunes from throughout. Noah is currently in New York City doing his An Evening with Noah Gunderson tour at the Rockwood Music Hall this weekend and there's still some other dates going on with this thing in november as well he will be in texas fort worth texas november 5th and 6th and then austin texas november 18th and 19th looks like there's maybe still a night in nashville that's got some tickets as well so i will put all the links for noah gunderson in the episode notes so you can keep up with him Speaking of calendar dates, if you are a Portland, Oregon local and you want to catch some free live music here in Southeast Portland, Produce Row Cafe has got you covered Wednesday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and Sundays 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. Free music, all ages, great food and drinks down there at Produce Row. This coming Sunday, we got singer songwriter Ronnie Carrier. And then on October 27th, Andrew Harrison and New Victorian will be there. And on Halloween, the soulful, beautiful voice of Karen Ann and her tunes will be over there. The Produce Row link will also be in those episode notes. And my goals of trying to keep this intro short and sweet have obviously not worked out. But I just wanted to provide you all with a little context for my chat here. With Noah, if you're new to the podcast and you came to it because you're a Noah Gunderson fan, I'm super stoked that you uh, have tuned into this thing. Like I said, every Friday, fresh episodes, usually myself in conversation with an artist of all genres, got a really killer episode coming at you next week with Brandy Zidane out of Nashville, and the last couple weeks have been some fun band chats with uh, some some people that I met out at the Treefort Music Festival, Joe Capolo was on the show just a few weeks ago. That was a really fun conversation. And every other Wednesday, new episodes of I Dig Records coming out in this feed as well, which is myself usually geeking out with somebody about a record and doing the deep dive on it. Usually I Dig Records is co-hosted by my cousin Rob But as of late, I've been having some guest co-hosts. So the most recent episode is with my girlfriend Ruby. And we talked about one of her favorite albums of all time, which is High Violet from The National. That was a super fun one. So that is there now. Stay tuned for more of those. Like I said, all the links will be in the episode notes for all the things And just a big thank you to everybody for checking this thing out. If you have been listening to this podcast since Noah came on the first time, I uh, couldn't be more appreciative of your support. I had no idea that I would go on to do this podcast for nearly six years, and it has changed and informed my life in ways that I could not have predicted, and I'm just... Super fucking grateful to be here and to be doing this thing and to share episode 278 with you. Noah Gunderson back on the podcast. Shout out to Andy Park for an amazing job on the production of this record, Pillar of Salt, as well as the the previous album, Lover. I'm excited to, to keep diving into this new album and the production on it is just really amazing and dig the uh, just dig the collaboration between Noah and him and, and what they what they're cooking up together. So we're gonna get this thing going and we're gonna kick it off with one of my favorite tracks off of the new Noah Gunderson album pillar of salt which is available on all of the things this one is called body i mentioned to noah about how killer the drums and percussion are throughout the record and this is one of those tracks specifically that has some really cool movements to it so let's do the damn thing
1: it was out of the question to see or be seen Caught under a landslide Of all of these memories I'm getting back to my body I'm getting out of my head It's been a long time in the chasing And the making of a good life So here I am On a beautiful day Looking out the window at the traffic on the east side of L.A. Overthinking as usual, by the right things to say. I guess I just get nervous when things are going okay. But whatever happens is probably going to happen anyway. Crazy reading the news, it's too much information. We all got the information, and a short span of attention, and a kink in our neck. I want to put it down, look around, and just let myself feel it. When the world was upon fire, you wanted to.
0: to have the opportunity to to chat with you man. Yeah. Um, we talked
2: once before like years ago, right?
0: Right yeah. when White Noise came out. Okay. We did a, a phone interview. Yeah.
2: And I was looking at your podcast since then. You've done like few hundred episodes since then. Yeah, or something dude, that's were, awesome, man. Yeah,
0: you were like episode 70 or something that's sick. and now we're like 275 that's awesome, episodes man. in and yeah. So it's great to to have you back and get to actually sit in the room with yeah. you and uh, yeah, I feel like it's a it's a special weekend to get to talk to you. I got to see your show here at the Soil Dove last night and that's kind of kicking off this this solo tour that you're yeah. doing and to get to talk to you on release weekend of Pillar yeah. of Salt which is so fucking good, man. I'm excited to like dive into all that stuff for Thanks, sure. Dude. But uh
2: it's also nice to like do an interview in person. Like I never, it's so much of, I mean, obviously this last year, I kind of stopped doing interviews for the most part too, actually. And, but when this one came across, I remember we had a good talk last time. So I was like, let's do it. But, um, but, yeah, so many of them are, like, on the phone or, like, via yeah. Zoom. And um, so this is, like, a rare occasion, actually, to be able to sit down in person. And talk. Yeah,
0: dude. I mean, I appreciate you giving me the time. And um, it's 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 hard to sometimes, like, catch that vibe, too, yeah. when you're doing it over the phone. And I've totally. had to do a lot of the the Zoom stuff. And you just kind of have to to roll with it because yeah. it's still like great opportunities to get to to talk to people and i would have loved if we were doing just a, a zoom thing but yeah to get to hang here and especially after after seeing the show you know brought up some different questions i had and uh but yeah man how's it feel to to
2: be playing tunes again because last night was kind of the the kickoff to this yeah. thing and i um so i kind of strategically did a few things after covid um the first show actual show back I played was at a a house show for a friend of mine's place that I had played for years and years. And it was for like 20 people. And I did that because I, I learned a lot about like my ego this last year and about what music had kind of become to me, uh, what it had, what role in my life it had filled for a long time. Um, and, I kind of, I did a lot of work to, to kind of find myself in the last year and a half. So I didn't want to just jump back in with like, ta-da, here I am. Like (laughs) suck my dick world. I'm like, (laughs) I'm the, I'm a star. Like I wanted it to be, uh, you know, like music as a, as a public service, you know, um, and so I did this this house show for twenty people, and then I played at this uh, dive bar in the middle of nowhere in Washington called was a place in Ferndale, Washington. Which anybody from Ferndale out there, shout out! Um, and those were really special because they there was no pretense about like how many tickets I sold or like what room I was playing or what the production was and all that stuff. It was just like. This is about music and people being in a room together, and that's something that we need. Um, and then coming back to this, this is like the first these for these first shows, like in a in a club, where it's like a Noah Gunderson thing. Um, but it feels really great, and it's um, I think the response to this record and the the way people well for one like I'm just also more receptive of things now I think and just seeing how impactful my music has been on people um, but without needing that to like feel good about myself um, makes it a lot easier to just come out here and tell stories and sing these songs from the back catalog and yeah. um, so that's a that's my long-winded answer i don't know man there was it was something cool about last
0: night's vibe i felt like i was uh watching a, a stand-up comedian kind of work things out it was just so nice to watch you walk up with just this notebook yeah. to to fall back on with for some old lyrics yeah. and you know it's just you sitting up there on the stool and just a very casual environment and yeah. uh I also really appreciated for, I'm sure as much as everybody in this room last night wanted to sing along a little bit louder than they were. It was all kept kind of these, these whisper singing (laughs) along. They didn't quite like turn it into a dashboard confessional unplugged, which I, you know, I could appreciate that end too, but we came to, to listen to you.
2: Yeah. It's a cool energy at these shows too, because it's a, It's a kind of quiet that doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. And that's a weird thing that you notice after playing for all these years is there's some, there's a kind of quietness that makes you feel weird. Like people are just being quiet to be quiet. And then there's people being quiet who are engaging in their silence, which is so hard to explain, but it's a good, it's a great feeling. It makes me feel comfortable. It doesn't feel like, wow, I'm just up here in front of like a really quiet, dark room full of people
0: (laughs) well speaking to you uh you know being able to maybe acknowledge things differently of of how your your music has impacted people i will i will tell you that uh i don't know i think i came to your music about a year before we chatted about white noise coming out and uh since then your voice has just been like your voice and your point of view has become very important to me and uh just kind of this measuring stick for uh singer songwriters and, and things of that realm to uh, evoke a similar emotion. It's this, uh, this very special thing like Ryan and I were talking about it on the way home last night, it just like leaves you with this feeling when you walk away from it, that it's like, I don't know, you're, uh, you're feeling all these things and you're yeah. kind of forced to, to reckon with them in yeah. some
2: ways. That's great. I mean, yeah, I, I, I hope that it's like a safe space for people. I think that's a thing. Like the songwriters that I grew up li- loving and listening to, they just like right before this show or the show last night, I, I played a show, um, with David Bazan of Pedro the lion who like, I have a very vivid memory of, uh, when I was like 13 years old or something listening to it's hard to find a friend and, having this moment, like this crazy epiphany that like, this guy just said the thing I've been feeling and I don't like, that's crazy. Like, has he been reading my mail? Like, how does, how does that work? And I listened back again. I was like, Oh yeah, that's actually the thing I'm feeling. I didn't think anyone felt like that. Um, and yeah so that's that's such that's uh, it's weird because i don't think i like set out to do that thing i just honestly i was just a really fucking lonely kid who had a lot of time on his hands and felt like songs were the only way i could express these complex emotions and then like some girls paid more attention to me because i wrote these songs i was like well this feels like a solid career path um and then so yeah, so it's really it's really special that like when you say something like that it means a lot that like um that it resonates on some deeper personal level.
0: Yeah, I've just found myself I guess like relying on your your catalog of music at times, I guess during some some rough times and especially with with Lover was the record I just like have a lot of attachment to just yeah. what what I was going through within maybe that that two-year period of it being released and and just kind of uh up until this pillar of salt album and yeah, yeah, just uh, it taps into something special and you know, whether you're a songwriter or musician that kind of uses music to help you, you know, your lens for the world. I think it's the same as a listener. It's yeah. like, Oh, this thing has helped me deal with things that i like couldn't imagine or whatnot. Awesome. So, um,
2: yeah, that's very cool. Well, it's funny. I, I like it's a it's a hard thing to take credit for because on one hand i've worked over all these years to kind of hone what i do but um you know it's also just something that kind of comes and most of what i've learned is just how to get out of the way <laughs> um so anyways i know you uh you were
0: talking last night about how your relationship with the old songs has changed over this mm-hmm. last year. Can you talk about that shift? And
2: yeah. I mean, I just like, I've always had like an element of self-hatred for not even self-hatred. It's just, I listened back and I I would be like, Oh, we should have done this differently or this it just like everything. I felt like everything I made had sucked. Uh, and, um, and that was partially what drove me to make changes the next time around and try to improve and all of that. But, um, you know, I think I have enough distance from these songs now where I can play them as almost as if I'm covering myself, like I'm playing covers of my own songs. Um, and also with this perspective of like, it's not just about me. You know, it's about the, the people that these songs have meant something to. Because um, for a long time, music was just, performance especially, was like a see- seeking validation, seeking something to make me feel a sense of self-worth. You know, so getting on stage was like the hour and a half of me feeling like I'm good about myself, you know. Um, and now I'm able to come to these songs and, and like kind of smile and like oh that's funny that's where your head was at like 16 years ago um but also just the way I just the way I write music is there's a lot of times when I don't really know what I'm writing and I just try to trust that it's going to make sense um and it's funny as I go back and revisit these songs like there's some that sort of became stories in my life later. And I don't know if I just manifested that because of whatever attitude I had at that time. But like, like for example, the, the the song fire from uh, the family album, like, I don't know what the fuck I was writing when I wrote that. I just kind of had this image and it was sort of dramatic. And I was like in my late teens, early twenties. And, and then it's funny, like playing it back. I'm like, Shit, there's a lot to this I relate to now, um, as a part of my own journey as a now 32 year old person. So, um, so it's fun, and and I can I can revisit them and and sing them a little differently and play them a little differently, but um, but I feel more relaxed about them. I'm just I know that they mean stuff to people, and I'm happy to be able to perform them.
1: I was born in a lighthouse when my mother lay. She won't wake for no shouting. I was. to visit me He said, son, I am your enemy Fear me But it came to my surprise I was drawn by the fire I set off west in the springtime Before the flowers.
0: That's gotta be like the fun thing about kind of documenting your, your life in that way, too, is just to see how these these lyrics sit with you. So, yeah. like, where, are you, how are you picking the tunes that you're playing as far as maybe like the people that are coming out to, to see the nights where you're playing the first few records? Yeah. You know,
2: how are you picking those jams? Are you thinking about just like, oh, this one has a cool story or is it like... It's more just like what ones I want to play. And there's so many songs. I mean, that's the crazy thing is like going back over all these tunes is, it's kind of bonkers. And I've had to trim it down and um, my friend was joking today about doing uh, like an ultra set where I just play literally all of my songs in one set and just see who the <laughs> real fans are who hangs who around, hangs for, five around for five hours. You just do like a Chappelle long yeah, set. Yeah, The ultra <laughs> set. Um, uh, I'm never going to do that. Cause that sounds like my literal nightmare, but, um, yeah, I just, I just go through, you know, I'm just going through the out. Like also, you know, there's some songs that I just can't really play without a band. Um, especially when it comes to like white noise and lover, they just don't really work. So um, I'm just kind of picking and choosing and like, but the fun thing with this process is like, like I'm bringing some dudes out to back me up on some of these shows, not this one, but um, just like a trio. And there's these songs that I've been discovering that I just never played live with a band ever, like B-sides or old songs. And so I think we're gonna try to put together a show or two of just like B sides and deep cuts, but put a whole band together. Cause I just want to play these songs with a band that we never that just, they kind of fell by the wayside. So, but yeah, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to pick ones that, that I want to play along with, you know, there's some tunes that people seem to like and so I'm trying to be conscientious of that and including those in there. Yeah. Wild to
0: hear that first defeat almost did not make that record yeah. because that ends up being like one of your most iconic songs, Yeah, no, it's a song that like a lot of people probably entry into yeah. your music. And well, it's
2: funny cause that's like on Spotify, they have like your top five songs or whatever. And it's, I always kind of resent that cause I never feel like it's actually representative. But I, you know, when I go to see, check out a new artist, I'm like, well, these are the songs I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, that song was, last-minute addition um, and it turned out to resonate with a lot of people yeah you also spoke about how you were kind of told to not put that song out I was asked not to write that song after the situation entailed in the song occurred <laughs> and
0: uh, I don't know did that that moment where you push back against that did that teach you anything about your your instincts to you know if you're uh, feeling something
2: to to put it out i don't know if it ta- i mean that's just kind of how i've always just operated on ar- ironically this last record is the first time i've sort of censored myself and actually i think it's for the it it, it resulted in a net positive because it created some space for me to really examine what I was trying to say like there was the song the coast on the new record it was originally this kind of angry breakup song with a pretty gnarly chorus that at the time felt like all right yeah fuck it this is what I'm singing about but I kept having all this anxiety about it and I was talking to my therapist about it and like I just realized, like, I didn't want to sing that sentiment for an, for a year. Or, like, I think about James Taylor's Fire and Rain all the time. Like, that dude's been singing that song for 30 years. I didn't want to put out a song that I would feel obligated to sing for 30 years. That I didn't really want to say that kind of I didn't want to put that energy out into the world anymore. And also, like so much self-reflection over the last year of like recognizing where I went wrong in certain relationships or lifestyle choices and things. And so, um, yes, all that being said, this is the first time I actually kind of like, all right, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to say that. And the result was not like a censoring and like, well, I'm going to just edit this out and edit this out. It was like, what is a, what is a more, reflective and truer way to say this sentiment. It also feels tr- more true to myself as a person who's trying to evolve and grow. I, know I,
1: wasn't perfect. I, know that I it. when you finally-
0: a lot of self-reflection over the last 18 months or so.
2: Yeah, so <laughs> when COVID hit, I um, I had this cabin out in the woods prior to that time and uh, I moved out there as soon as COVID hit like permanently. Um, and by cabin in the woods, it was legit cabin in the woods. Uh, we were like pretty off the grid. It technically doesn't really exist. Um, and there's like no wi-fi hardly any cell reception like wood heat like pretty cabiny <laughs> um and yeah i just kind of like everything sort of caught up with me because um, i just my life has been on the move for years and there's these cycles that i go through like after just like album cycles like every two years every like two years into a relationship or whatever i get this just overwhelming antsiness where like I need to just like there's a line in exit signs where it's this like hand grenade analogy and like I just want to blow up my life because I get um bored and like I have ADHD and like I need to like stimulate myself some way which tour is great for Uh, it's also great for distracting yourself from all your problems you're
0: just staying busy the whole time and you you don't have time to deal with the problems.
2: yep and so this year and a half you know i was like strapped to the chair and i was like here's all your shit dude you kind of there's nowhere to run um and it was really hard but uh i'm super grateful for
1: it Time. It's been like a carnival of pretty lights Every night the Pin and the hand grenade It's been calling out my name Like a jealous wife All my life Cause If you burn it down you still get to dance around letting go is just another
0: thing you're holding on to would you say a lot of
2: pillar of salt came out of that or was there a lot of that music that was already written before you hit the cabin most of it was written at the cabin there was a few tunes that were written before laurel and hardy was written before um body i wrote like right before the pandemic hit kind of that with that feeling of like Something's feels weird. I was like in LA at a friend's place and it was like before lockdowns and everything happened so quick like I had played a show and then I I think the next weekend I flew to Toronto and then everything shut down and I came home and it was over. But um, but yeah most of the tunes I wrote uh, at the cabin have you found that therapy has
0: affected your, your
2: songwriting outside of just like
0: the, the boundaries of things?
2: I think it's helped me become a better communicator about what's going on with me. Um, I think it's just, it's uncovered and unearthed some of my more deep seated issues. And in that process, I'm, I've gained new perspective, and so then that perspective, I think, translates over to the music. Yeah, and then you have that as like an additional outlet to Mm -hmm.
0: revisit that stuff and and work it out through that as well.
2: But it's also nice because it's not just putting all that weight on the music, um, which can be like a heavy burden to bear, right? When your only source or outlet of feeling okay and expressing yourself is in this thing that's also your job, it's it gets fucking weird. Um, so to have a, another outlet, take some of the pressure off, which honestly I think allows for more creativity, um, because you're not just like, I really need this to like fix me right now. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've personally found it super, super helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and just, a uh, as someone that, Always tries to be the rock in situations it's like it's so nice to finally like have someone to to let that weight off and and not have to feel like you're being a burden on someone else totally and and having to worry about that your friends are worried about you you just have this this person that you can freely talk to in that way
2: yeah well and the idea is too that like i've found it's helped my relationships with my real friends you know, I've lost a lot of friends over the years, and that's a bummer, but, like, attempting to communicate in the same way that I do with my therapist, to a degree, there's some stuff that it just it's too hard to talk about with my friends, but, like, teaching, it, I think therapy, I will make a note, I think with the right therapist, because there's some fucking bad therapists out <laughs> there. Like, I have, I am a big proponent of therapy, but I think, like, the program I went through to find my therapist allowed me to like go on a couple like quote unquote therapy dates with different people and feel out like who I felt comfortable with. And that to me is the most important thing. Like, can you bear your soul to this person just based off of how you feel with them? So I've also, I had a therapist before who fucking sucked. So there are bad therapists out there. Um, but, yeah, I think it has taught me how to be more vulnerable. And for one, I just feel more okay with myself. And so because of that, I can just say shit that I'm not really worried about judgment from, from my friends or from people or whatever. So
0: yeah, I think it's, it's nice when you uh, have some additional tools to help you communicate the things that you actually need out of relationships, Mm -hmm. like where those boundaries are for you and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. When I talked to you last, and White Noise was coming out, you were so, so pumped on you know kind of this big rock and roll tour for yourself, and and that was like um, something you wanted to knock off the checklist. So yeah. having a couple years removed from that, what what do you feel reflecting back on on that tour to kind of like where you're at now, doing it back to the roots of things, stripped down?
2: Yeah. Uh, man, the white noise tour was a lot of fun and probably took five years off my life. Um, yeah, it's a blur. I, uh, it's weird to talk about because I was starting to feel for the first time okay with myself. Um, and it was this kind of epiphany that, like, no one really had it figured out. And so, fuck it. Um, which, there's a nugget of that that is true and positive. A lot of this had to do with just taking a ton of psychedelics at the time. Um, and, however, in the process, there was a lot of wreckage in my wake. <laughs> um and that sucks. It's hard to think about, um, but it was a step of, of me trying to figure out my shit and just and also feeling liberated for the first time as just a you know person and like uh, so. And I also I really resented being a songwriter for some reason. I think I just I felt like maybe I think maybe it has something to do with like growing up in kind of a conservative environment, like having so much resentment against ever feeling controlled or boxed into something that as soon as I felt like I was getting pigeonholed as this thing that I kind of felt was illegitimate in the grander sense of music, (laughs) like it felt like, like Radiohead was cool that's what you should do um being a songwriter is like you know boring or stupid or whatever and and i idolized dylan like growing up he was just you know the king and so you know i was like i i, I love that he just gave the middle finger to all the expectations and was booed every night on that tour and, yeah um so I was like I oh, I need to make a rock record. I need to like make a big sounding thing. And um I'm super like proud of it. Like I can listen to it now and like hear where I was at. And I think the record's really cool. It's cool for for we put a lot of work into it. Um it was also a transitional time in my life when like Carry the Ghost I kind of just threw together. And looking back, I'm like, why didn't we spend more time on this? And I just didn't know. And I was like, you just make a record and then you make another one, right? Like, this is how this works. And and then when it came out, I was like, oh, no, I didn't put the time in. Yeah. So I went the full opposite with White Noise and we just like spent m- like a year or two just really in the trenches with that record and came out with like two albums essentially of music and released the b-sides yeah
0: i was so stoked that you did that because those songs are equally as great to me and such a cool companion to yeah that collection of tunes but yeah man it just seems like there's that that significant shift like where where white noise starts yeah it's like this whole different era of of your career and uh i feel like you can you can hear that in the records like Mm -hmm. you're talking about like it feels like they're very thought out and especially as you dive more and more into this this production and lean into the the producer shit you know um and and lover kind of seem to to really engage in something different and uh just hit so many different dynamics do you feel like that record really Informed the way you made pillar of salt.
2: Well, yeah, the big thing about lover is Andy Park my producer and that was the first record I did with him and Andy is It's There's a lot of there's a lot of bands Out there that Are kind of made or broken by a producer Um, and I need a producer, I need someone who I can collaborate with and be like, here is the, here's my song. I don't want to overthink it. I'm also not like, I don't do the computer. I don't know pro tools. I, every time I've tried to do that, I get in my own way. So, um, Andy and I's process with Lover was like, let's just throw everything at the wall, you know, with White Noise, uh, with Nate Yacino, who's also a super talented producer, but the process was a little more like, okay, what's the plan? What's the method? How is this, you know, what's the, what's the idea and how do we execute it? And what's the, what are the musical parts? What's, and then let's play them and edit like, which was cool. but with Lover it was mostly just like well it was just a lot of improvisation which Pillar of Salt is even more like that where it's just like okay Andy's going to run the track I'm going to sit at the piano we'll do five passes cool I'm going to go smoke let's come back and we'll do something else and then we'll edit that later um and Lover was a lot of that just getting in a room, bringing different people in that we liked. And like, that was also where I started kind of letting go of the reins a little bit and just, um, trusting that like, okay, I'm going to hire, why would I hire someone I like and then tell them what to play? You know, um, it's, it's, I, I just wanted to bring in people that I liked and let them do their thing. And of, of course there's some direction at some times, but for the most part, it's just like, you are really good at what you do. I don't do what you do, but I want your thing on my record. So we'll run it at you and you do whatever you want. Um, and that's kind of seemed to work pretty well for me.
0: Yeah, dude, that's that uh, That Lover record. That's that one for me is the, like that album i put on that i know is going to devastate me but i just like i gotta keep i gotta keep going back to Thank it you. like tracks like wild horses
1: just... always got a lot on my mind it feels like the net just gets bigger with time just stretching out behind me trawling the old waste a lot of breath on the bullshit I breathe a lot of air that keeps making me sick Or maybe just hazy A little bit lazy It's okay if you don't have the answers The questions remain the same There's a whole lot of people claiming their team, but nobody knows the game. So give me a minute to come to my senses, to look out the window and stop building fences. all the wild horses just want to run free i want to know you i just want you to know
0: Just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 pub located in the alphabet district of Northwest Portland. They've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Muscles and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through
2: North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. We actually are going to, we're talking about remastering it because we were so just kind of deep in it at the end that when we got it mastered, I think we had sort of lost all perspective and we're like, all right, this, yeah, I, well, this is good, right? It, sure, I think it's good. And listening to what Greg Calbee did with Pillar of Salt, you know, mastering is such a weird abstract thing, but what Greg does to records is like my fiance listened to it and she's like, I don't know what mastering is, but I can something happened to this record once this guy put his hands on it. Yeah. And so I think we'd like to eventually remaster lover because there's actually a lot there that you can't really hear because of the way it was mastered. Um, So there's a lot more detail and noise, like like ear candy um, that kind of got, sort of lost unfortunately
0: well with that said i was i i listened to that that record pretty frequently and after i listened to pillar of salt a couple times on the plane ride here i put on lover and i think what i love about like that record and the new record is that i feel like there's just always room for hearing something now mm-hmm. you know with all the the yeah. different production things and it's just like oh this record's still giving me new feels when I have the opportunity to dive into the headphones and and hear all these things.
2: That was definitely a thing. I mean, I remember listening to King of Limbs, like super stoned and being like, there's new sounds every time I listen to this record. And I just thought that was so cool. And so coupling like the kind of vulnerability of songwriting, uh, singer songwriter, whatever with, um, production that like keeps giving you something and like Andy is a huge Sigur fan and like that I think really comes through in the way he produces yeah there does seem to be like this next level ceiling
0: though to the pillar of salt thing like you're talking about with the mastering that was Mm -hmm. done
2: well and also just Andy like Andy fucking leveled up in the last couple years like he he he's been working on some really big records like he engineered the last deftones record and like a few other big things and like his mixing just like when i started getting mixes back from i was like shit dude like you you like really leveled up here um so yeah i'm i'm fortunately the beneficiary of that growth in him
0: yeah and laurel and hardy kicks off the record and just like sets sets the tone and creates Mm -hmm. the world Mm -hmm. which is just killer and uh yeah there's so much like cool percussion moments like Mm. in this record i feel like as well yeah
2: there's a few different guys playing drums on it um and but there's a lot of also just andy's programming um because the way we made the record is i would make these little um, demos on my phone and send them to him. Like I would have to walk down the driveway to get enough cell reception to like email him the demo <laughs> from the cabin. And then he would like, I would be like, here, all right, here's the BPM. Here's the key. Do your thing and then he would send me stuff back and it was amazing and i would make notes and send that back and back and forth and inevitably once we were able to kind of meet up in person we started bringing people in but that was the really the the beginning of the record yeah
0: are you still always kicking songs off on a guitar or on a
2: a piano then i wrote most of this record on the piano um and i had a little back room at this cabin I lived there with my uh, now fiance. Um, and I've always been really self conscious about singing or r- r- writing stuff while people are around. Um, so I would just go back there and like sing really quietly and like thinking that I would, you know, sing them louder later. And then we went to record them. I was like, oh, these are all in this range that's really low, um, which is cool. I mean, that's how it's the way the record sounds. Um, yeah. yeah. Do you feel like the stuff you
0: write on the keys maybe uh, gives you a little more room rhythmically with the vocal? Yeah. And it opens up that pocket?
2: There's a lot more space sonically. I mean, it's a different rhythmic instrument. The You know, you're pressing down instead of this kind of like the arm motion of playing guitar or finger picking or whatever. So, um, and yeah, and you can also just be like, Play the four chords, and someone can do you know whatever they want with it, so it gives you a little more options, I think yeah, tracks like blankets, man just seem to have
0: this big groove to it, especially yeah.
2: at the end when when things yeah, that was one we um that was when we actually started before covid, and that was just at a session at Andy's house. We had a couple sessions where we were, we were just like, let's build some tracks um from the ground up and so we just play around with sounds and try not to overthink it. And as soon as we, you know, hit on something. And I think it was that, um, it's like one of those keyboard sounds. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Let's follow that. And so we wrote that. And then, um, I just wrote the lyrics in his apartment while he was editing. And, um, and then way down the road later, like, um, my friend, Dave Dalton played a bunch of really cool keys stuff on it. And, uh, yeah, I like that song too. Now
1: you're slowly disappearing I see you all lot less of
0: This has Phoebe Bridgers on it, the incredible Phoebe Bridgers. The legendary. The legendary. She's another one of those people, Prolific. man, that's just like, uh, you know, part of that measuring stick for yeah. making you feel something. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, was was White Noise the first time you really established a relationship with yeah, Phoebe, bringing I had, her out on tour?
2: I had met her years before. She, actually, like, she, like, her and her friend, I think, did merch for me at a show when they were, like, too young to actually be in the show. <laughs> Um, and then I had, she had like come to a, a show that I had played with my other band and she had tagged a video and I was doing the, like, you know, the post show Instagram, you know, thing where I was like looking at videos and I had remembered she had done, I'd seen that she had done something with Ryan Adams and it's like, what's, what's Phoebe doing? And so I clicked on her link and this was like a year before stranger in the Alps came out and she had just had posted the video for um uh, smoke signals and I was like I was told the the girl I was seeing at the time I was like you need to watch this cuz this girl's going to be super famous um and and that seems like a like a dramatization but I legitimately felt that when I saw that and she and I was right you're you're and prophet I was, I was a fucking prophet <laughs> uh and then yeah so we we brought her out on the white noise tour Um, and then she just kind of skyrocketed into her own orbit. So so I was lucky to have her on the track.
0: Yeah. What have you learned about like from your collaborations with, with her?
2: Um, I don't know if I've learned anything. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad she's on there. You know, we, we did a thing at the end of the white noise tour, for this like mashup of Killer and the Sound, and um, so we we clearly it it was like oh this works like there's a there's something here that really works, um, but yeah she's just a super talented person and I, I hope you know we can't wait to see what she does next.
0: It seems like you have done a lot over the last few years and uh, One of my favorites of that is the the Glorietta stuff (laughs) that You did and and that was uh, I don't know that just that that feels like the family band Elements are all there with everybody taking the leads and just it feels like there's a, a real communal energy To that situation.
2: Yeah, I mean that came right on the heels of white noise which like I said earlier was this very analyzed in my head, like the methodical process. And I almost didn't go to the Glorietta thing. I kind of had this breakup that happened that w- was rough and, um, but I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going get on this plane and show up. And uh, my friend David Ramirez picked me up at the airport and like this car that he had borrowed from somebody that like barely ran and he was like i think pretty wasted at that point and then i get home and we're at this we get to this airbnb and like there's this dude who i hadn't met at the time jason blum who's like smoking his pipe in the airbnb And i'm like <laughs> what the fuck is going on like and there's like and i got there late like i didn't um i didn't uh meet any most of the folks until the next morning um but yeah, man, it was really special. It was like I wouldn't do it again. Um or maybe I would well actually a lot of those people fucking got sober after that tour. Um <laughs> because it was so kind of intense. Um but I'm really you know, it's a special thing to have documented and I from what I remember of it, I have some really special memories. Yeah.
0: I I I had a feeling that that was not going to be a thing that too many people were going to get to see. And maybe that was like a one and done kind of set of oh, shows. Yeah.
2: I would never do that again. And like they keep trying to like pull me back in because like we, there is some glorious shows that happen, but like most of those guys live in Texas. And I also just feel like my thing on it is like, just don't over milk the cow. Like yeah. let it be what it was the special um, thing yeah that but also if they want to do it like i have no problem with it but for me it was also of such a certain time in my life that i think to go back to doing those songs live would just sort of feel disingenuous i don't think i could really do it
0: well i feel lucky enough to have gotten to see one of those sets oh yeah at that pickathon music festival
2: in oregon yeah oh yeah so
0: i was i was there for that and uh awesome. your set i was i was
2: coming up on acid for yeah. the first time
0: oh, in yeah. my life and so that was a, that was a fun way to, to set it off with yeah. the family band vibes yeah. of, of Glorietta
2: we were all doing a lot of mushrooms that whole day and then that's I, the th- python vibe no oh way. yeah and then I did some cocaine that I'm pretty sure was not cocaine <laughs> um, yeah that was a weird time
1: <laughs> God damn this cold Can't get no sleep and I don't feel like eating.
0: About young in the city man what keeps bringing you back to wanting to make records with those guys and play a show here and there
2: well we've had a ep that's been done for a while just kind of waiting for the right time to put it out but i think that project kind of might be towards the end um a lot of we're all kind of doing a lot of different things you know everybody in that band but really fun songs and i'm really excited to release this hopefully release this ep that we have in the can as kind of like the last thing um but i also just i'm at the point too where like i got a lot going on um not just with music but with my life and i'm getting married and i'm actually kind of doing i have a another job that i've been kind of getting more involved with um just because i don't want to put so much pressure on music to be the thing all the time um so you know and i also like have hobbies i like snowboarding i like cycling i like my motorcycles i there's a i have a lot of stuff going on so and i also like making records of my own music so yeah i um I think for a long time I kind of overcommitted and wore myself thin. And now I'm trying to be better at like not taking on more than I can chew. And so probably not as many like collaborative projects for the foreseeable future.
0: Yeah. Well, amongst all that, you were able to crank out quite a bit of fucking music over the last yeah. five years, man.
2: Well, I had a pretty big hole to fill inside me that I needed to just do something in order to attempt that.
0: Yeah. Do you feel like you're... Approaching each record with this next level of maturity then or coming into pillar of salt like it was just a a New mindset heading into that one
2: yeah, and each one builds on the last you know and like I think i'm in a good groove with the way I write songs now and i've figured out a few things Um Part of that figuring out is that it's a constant state of becoming you know, you never arrive you never and if you just accept that, then the journey's a lot more fun um and so the way I write now is I just show up in the morning and I make my coffee and I sit down, and I'm like, All right, what I'm just gonna dick around for a while, and sometimes something happens, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes you just stare at the wall for a while, but I think because I'm not putting so much pressure on it to be like, you how can you not like how can you not write a song? you suck <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, well. All right, I showed up, I put. I clocked in, now I'm going to clock out. I'm going to go do other shit. Um, but I just keep doing that, and the songs, you know, keep coming. So I'm just going to keep doing that. You think you're going to keep working
0: with Andy, too, yeah. as well? That yeah. that kind of seems to be yeah. working pretty well.
2: Yeah, he's definitely like my my Nigel Godrick or whatever, like... um Yeah, really, the thing we have together works really well. Well, it's cool that you're, like, so stoked
0: on his progress, too. Yeah. And, you know, you can recognize his growth and he can recognize yours and developing that level of communication between the two of you where it's easy to make records, hopefully.
2: And he's put up with my shit, man. Like, (laughs) we, during that Glorietta tour, I showed up at his house on a day off for a session and was so just a wreck that I actually just – passed out on his couch for the whole day when we were like supposed to be working. Um, so I'm just super grateful for him and our working relationship and our friendship. Well, I could,
0: uh, talk to you for hours about all (laughs) this, but I know that I have to let you go so you can get ready for uh night two here in Denver. Um, I want to play the episode out with sleepless in Seattle, which is definitely one of my favorite tunes out of your entire catalog of music. And, uh, yeah. Can you maybe close this out? Just talk about what it's been like for you to move away from yeah. the Seattle area and
2: start this new chapter in your life. Yeah. I mean, it was as, like, you know, the first time you move away from home, at least for me, you start this journey of trying to find a new home. um, And Sometimes you find it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's a group of people, sometimes it's a city, sometimes it's a literal home (laughs) that you (laughs) buy or whatever. Um, But yeah, for 10 years Seattle was like my spot and I kind kind of got in at like the last death rattle of when it was cool and got to see some really cool bands play and got to be a part of a music community where I would see people I knew all everywhere I went and, and it had, you know, it's definitely wasn't perfect. There was plenty of weird tribal shit and you know, I was jaded already at that time. (laughs) And, um, but it was really special to be a part of that. Um, and but also, you know, you got to change and you got to evolve and you got to grow and cities got to do the same thing. You know, it's sad that there's not, um, there's not a, doesn't seem like there's uh, an attempt to like create a space for artists to still exist in the city. Um, but I don't really know how to do that with like without government overreach, which I'm not really a fan of either. Yeah. So it's like, how the fuck do you regulate gentrification? I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um it's it seems to just be something that happens. It's such a fucked up Yeah, it's thing. Sad, it's sad. So um yeah, I've just I just slowly watched the city become something I didn't recognize anymore and um then when COVID hit, I was already planning on leaving, but then COVID kind of accelerated that process. Um and it was hard. It was hard to leave a place where I like Became who I am, but also there's so there's so many memories attached with the place like You know this intersection or this apartment building or this bar that this person worked at, you know, or There's all these memories attached with the city that There's some pleasant ones and there's some unpleasant ones Um, and there's also some things that just need to like that you need to let go of in order to grow and um, I've always had a hard time with that and Uh, that's what, you know, this record's called a pillar of salt because of looking back in memory and stuff. And, uh, so leaving Seattle, I think was really important for me to kind of go into this next chapter of my personal life, my musical life. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I miss it. I miss what it was. Um, I don't recognize it anymore, but you know, I'm, I'm finding my own, a new home, you know? elsewhere yeah well i think i think a a big
0: reason your music resonates is because i also struggle with the letting go of things and and wanting to hold on to certain memories and and your music is so great about addressing those things and uh it's just been fucking exciting man to just see how your career continues to evolve and and i was just had so much anticipation for this new record with the last two and uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah just again just like touches on that that full range of emotions man and good it's it's amazing so i just feel incredibly grateful to get to spend some time with you in person and yeah, like i said dude your your music has just been such a, a big fucking deal or pillar to me over the last few years specifically thank so you. this I, I uh this one means a lot to me so thank you so much for for doing the thing,
2: yeah, dude. Thanks for talking.
0: Yeah, we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline of the show, which is "It's a program." It's it's a program. He did it, everybody. That's Noah Gunderson. He's on tour right now, and if you get a chance to see one of these uh, these these shows on this upcoming one, I feel like this is a, a cool opportunity to get to hear some stories and have some uh, some intimate moments, maybe. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll put all the links in the episode notes so you can keep up with Noah Gunderson, and we are going to play it out with Sleepless in Seattle from that Pillar of Salt record that is available now, and that is the Jelly Jams, and we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, Denver, the middle of nowhere, wherever you are listening from. Cool, man. Sweet. Thanks so much,
1: dude. Sleepless in Seattle I couldn't find a better name for this If idle hands make devils work Maybe we should build a church Just so we can burn it down Cause every bar in this city Reminds me of somebody now I get drunk at twelfth in union, whose street will I go wander? To his talking again All that acid in the 90s He said it made a man out of him All his early friends got married A wife, a house, a couple kids Just trying to keep the dream alive And if it dies, then he and I just might die right along
0: big shout out to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to DistroKid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that DistroKid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with DistroKid, making their already affordable prices, even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to Distro Kid. Stay up, stay tuned.